Chapter Seven of Gunsight Pass: How Oil Came to the Cattle Country and Brought a New West by William McLeod Rain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bob Hart takes a hand. Bob Hart waited till his friend had disappeared into the house before he moved. Thought he'd run it over me, so I'd roost here on the roof, did he? Well, I'm after the old horn-toed fool jump. The puncher murmured, a gay grin on his good-looking face. He, too, examined his gun before he followed Dave through the dormer window and passed into the frowsy bread-chamber. None of the details of it escaped his cool, keen gaze, least of all the sawed-off shotgun in the corner. That scatter-gun might come in handy. Reckon I'll move it so's I'll know just where it's at when I need it, he said to himself, and carried the gun to the bed where he covered it with a quilt. At the top of the stairs, Bob also hesitated before passing down. Why not be sure of his line of communications with the roof before going too far? He did not want to be in such a hurry that his retreat would be cut off. With as little noise as possible, Bob explored the upper story. The first room in which he found himself was empty of all furniture except a pair of broken-backed chairs. One casual glance was enough here. He was about to try a second door when someone spoke. He recognized the voice. It belonged to the man who wrote his paychecks, and it came from an adjoining room. "'Always knew you as crooked as a dog's hind legs, Doble. Never liked you a lick in the road. I'll say this. Some day I'll certainly hang your hide up to dry for your treachery. No use to get on the peck, Em.' It don't do you no good to make me sore. Maybe you'll need a friend before you're shed of brad. It relieves my mind to tell you what a yellow coyote you are, explained the cattleman. You got about as much sand as a brush rabbit, and I'd trust you as far as I would a rattler, you damned sidewinder. Bob tried the door. The knob turned in his hand, and the door slowly opened inward. The rattle of the latch brought George Doble's sly, shifty eye round. He was expecting to see one of his friends from below. A stare of blank astonishment gave way to a leaping flicker of fear. The crook jumped to his feet, tugged at his gun. Before he could fire, the range rider had closed with him. The plunging attack drove Doble back against the table, a flimsy round-topped affair which gave way beneath this assault upon it. The two men went down in the wreck. Doble squirmed away like a cat, but before he could turn to use his revolver, Bob was on him again. The puncher caught his right arm, in time and in no more than time. The deflected bullet pinged through a looking-glass on a dresser near the foot of the bed. "'Go to it, son! Grab the gun and bust his head wide open!' an excited voice encouraged Hart but Doble clung to his weapon as a lost cow does to a doby waterhole in the desert. Bob got a grip on his arm and twisted till he screamed with pain. He did a head spin and escaped. One hundred and sixty pounds of steel-muscled cowpuncher landed on his midriff, and the six-shooter went chattering away to a far corner of the room. Bob dived for the revolver, Doble for the door. A moment and Hart had the gun. But whereas there had been three in the room, there were now but two. A voice from the bed spoke in curt command. Cut me loose! 
Bob had heard that voice on more than one roundup. It was that of Emerson Crawford. The range rider's sharp knife cut the ropes that tied the hands and feet of his employer. He worked in the dark, and it took time. "'Who are you? How come you here?' demanded the cattleman. "'I'm Bob Hart. It's quite a story. Miss Joyce sent me and Dave Sanders,' answered the young man, still busy with the ropes. From below came the sound of a shot, the shuffling of many feet. "'Must be him downstairs. I reckon—' "'There's a muley gun in the hall.' Crawford stretched his cramped muscles, flexing and reflexing his arms and legs. "'Get it, son. We'll drift down and sit in.' When Bob returned, he found the big cattleman examining Doble's revolver. He broke the shotgun to make sure it was loaded. Then, "'We'll travel,' he said coolly. The battle sounds below had died away. From the landing they looked down into the hall and saw a bar of light that came through a partly open door. Voices were lifting in excitement. "'One of M. Crawford's riders,' someone was saying. "'A whole passel of em must be round the place.' Came the thud of a boot on something soft. "'Put the damn spy out of business, I say,' broke in another angrily. Hart's gorge rose. "'That's Miller,' he whispered to his chief. "'He's kicking Dave now he's down, "'cause Dave wailed him good.' Softly, the two men padded down the stair-treads and moved along the passage. "'Who's that?' demanded Shorty, thrusting his head into the hall. "'Stay right there, or I'll shoot.' "'Oh, no, you won't,' answered the cattleman evenly. "'I'm coming into that room to have a settlement. "'There'll be no shooting unless I do it.' His step did not falter. He moved forward, brushed Shorty aside, and strode into the midst of his enemies. Dave lay on the floor. His hair was clotted with blood, and a thin stream of it dripped from his head. The men grouped round his body, had their eyes focused on the man who had just pushed his way in. All of them were armed, but not one of them made a move to attack. For there is something about a strong man unafraid more potent than a company of troopers. Such a man was Emerson Crawford now. His life might be hanging in the balance of his enemy's fears, but he gave no sign of uncertainty. His steady gray eyes swept the circle, rested on each worried face, and fastened on Brad Steelman. The two had been enemies for years, rivals for control of the range and for leadership in the community. Before that, as young men, they had been candidates for the hand of the girl that the better one had won. The sheepman was shrewd and cunning, but he had no such force of character as Crawford. At the bottom of his heart, though he seethed with hatred, he quailed before that level gaze. Did his foe have the house surrounded with his range riders? Did he mean to make him pay with his life for the thing he had done? Steelman laughed uneasily. An option lay before him. He could fight, or he could throw up the hand he had dealt himself from a stacked deck. If he let his enemy walk away scot-free, some day he would probably have to pay Crawford with interest. His choice was a characteristic one. "'Well, I reckon you kind of upset my plans, Em. Course I was a cod in you.' I didn't aim to hurt you none, though I'd a like to have talked you out of the water holes. The big cattleman ignored this absolutely. Have a team hitched right away. 
Shorty will tend to that. Bob, tie up your friend's head with a handkerchief. Without an instant's hesitation, Hart thrust his revolver back into its holster. He was willing to trust Crawford to dominate this group of lawless foes, every one of whom had some deep grudge against him. One he had sent to the penitentiary. Another he had actually kicked out of his employ. A third was in his debt for many injuries received. Almost any of them would have shot him in the back on a dark night, but none had the cold nerve to meet him in the open. For even in a land which bred men, there were few to match Emerson Crawford. Shorty looked at Steelman. I'm waiting, Brad, he said. The sheepman nodded sullenly. You done heard your orders, Shorty. The ex-convict reached for his steeple hat, thrust his revolver back into its holster, and went jingling from the room. He looked insolently at Crawford as he passed. Different here. If it was my say-so, I'd go through. Hart administered first aid to his friend. I'm serving notice, Miller, that some day I'll bust you wide and handsome for this, he said, looking straight at the fat gambler. You have give Dave a raw deal, and you'll not get away with it. I pack a gun. Come a-shootin' when you're ready, retorted Miller. That's liable to be right soon, you damn horse-thief. We've rid most a hundred miles to have a little talk with you and your partner there. Shoutin' about that race yet, are you? If I wasn't a better loser than you... Don't bluff, Miller. You know why we trailed you. Doble edged into the talk. He was still short of wind, but to his thick wits a denial seemed necessary. We ain't got your bronx. Who mentioned our bronx? Hart demanded swiftly. Called Ad a horse thief, didn't you? So he is. You too. You've got our ponies. Not in your vest pockets, but hid out in the brush somewheres. I'm serving notice right now that Dave and me have come to collect. Dave opened his eyes upon a world which danced hazily before him. He had a splitting headache. "'What's the matter?' he asked. "'You had a run-in with a bunch of sheep wranglers,' Bob told him. "'They're going to be plumb sorry they got gay.' Presently, Shorty returned. "'That team's hooked up,' he told the world at large. "'You'll drive us, Steelman,' announced Crawford. "'Me!' screamed the leader of the other faction. "'You got the most nerve I ever did see.' "'Sure, drive him home, Brad.' advised Shorty with bitter sarcasm. Black his boots, wait on him good, step lively while your new boss whistles, he cackled with splenetic laughter. I don't know as I need to drive you home, Steelman said slowly, feeling his way to a decision. You know the way better than I do. The eyes of the two leaders met. You'll drive, the cattleman repeated steadily. The weak spot in Steelman's leadership was that he was personally not game. Crawford had a pungent personality. He was dynamic, strong, master of himself in any emergency. The sheepman's will melted before his insistence. He dared not face a showdown. Oh, well, what's it matter? We can talk things over on the way. Me, I'm not looking for trouble, none, he said, his small black eyes moving restlessly to watch the effect of this on his men. Bob helped his partner out of the house and into the Surrey. The cattleman took the seat beside Steelman, 
across his knees the sawed-off shotgun. He had brought his enemy along for two reasons. One was to weaken his prestige with his own men. The other was to prevent them from shooting at the rig as they drove away. Steelman drove in silence. His heart was filled with surging hatred. During that ride was born a determination to have nothing less than the life of his enemy when the time should be ripe. At the door of his house, Crawford dismissed him contemptuously. Get out. The man with the reins spoke softly, venomously, from a dry throat. One of these days you'll crawl on your hands and knees to me for this. He whipped up the team and rattled away furiously into the night. End of chapter 7